if you open your internet and search for great farewell speeches, you'll find that one of your links will be to a website that ranks the 100 greatest speeches of the 20th century. I noticed that this week and was looking through some farewell speeches given by prominent people. I won't list all 100 of them, to which you're saying, thank you, Todd, we appreciate that. I did notice a few one that caught my eye. Number 73 was Lou Gehrig's famous farewell speech to baseball, in which he said he was the luckiest man alive. And by the way, that was while he was struggling with the disease now known by his name, Lou Gehrig's disease. Kind of makes you think twice before you complain about the bad weather next time, doesn't it? Number 39 on that list was Richard Nixon's farewell speech to America from office. Not exactly what he had in mind, I'm sure, when it comes to saying farewell. Number 18 on that list was Dwight Eisenhower's farewell to the nation after his presidency. And Number 14 on that list was General Douglas MacArthur's farewell speech to Congress in which he said, Old soldiers, what? Never die. There's other speeches on that list. I think it's interesting that throughout that list you'll find probably well over half of them are speeches given by military leaders. There's one you won't find on that list though. I'm not sure if even if it was in the century if it would have made it. But that's Joshua's farewell address in Joshua 23. And it, in my mind, climbs to an automatic number one. Because this farewell address given in Joshua 23 and 24 in which he passes on the victories. He passes on the faith. He kind of like pays it forward, shall we say. He lays out for us some good motivation and some good methods for doing the same. Will you take your Bibles and turn to Joshua 23? Let's look at, take a look at, at Joshua's final address to his army, his leaders, and his nation. This speech, this address, is given in two parts, by the way. You'll notice Joshua 23, verses 1 and 2. Do you see it there? Your fingers on it? The Bible says a long time had passed. The Lord had given Israel rest from all their enemies. And Joshua is now old and well advanced in years. And so he summoned all of Israel. And then here's who he's actually summoned. He didn't summon every single tribe in person. But he summoned their elders, leaders, judges, and officials. And he, he began to speak to just these people, just the leadership of the nation. And that's laid out for us in chapter 23. When he's done with that, beginning in 24, at this city of refuge called Shechem, um, by the way, there were six cities of refuge laid out here in the promised land. They were all centrally located and strategically placed so that if you were in need of one, you could find one within a relatively short amount of time. It's at this city of refuge named Shechem that that Joshua then takes the leaders, the elders, the judges, and officials, and he presents them to God in front of all the tribes. Does that make sense? So you have like a two-part speech. I tend to think they were given in two different locations as well. There's no scriptural indication of that. I tend to think the first part of his speech was at Ephraim in his home. Uh, the second part, when they moved down with the elders, the judges, the officials in Shechem, where all the people could gather. And he presented the leaders, much like we did, let's say, with our elders here. He presents them and kind of puts them on call in front of all the people, raises the bar. And then he actually speaks for God in the rest of 24 to the people. We're going to see this farewell address. And 
what an impact it had on the people and how it carried the children of Israel not only through their current generation but also for all the elders that outlived Joshua. So knowing that, let's take a look at this address and see what it can teach us about passing the faith along. Let's begin in Joshua 23. He begins in verse 2, the very end of that. He says, I am well, excuse me, I am old and well advanced in years. You have seen everything the Lord your God has done to all these nations for your sake. He kind of reviews here how God brought them out of Egypt and He He allotted the land for them and He He brought them to a place of possession. He kind of makes that case through about verse 5. And then in verse 6, He begins to, to have a future focus. Look what He says. He says, now be strong. In fact, be very strong. And be careful to obey all that is written in the book of the law of Moses. Hey, by the way, where did we, where did we first see that appear? Joshua chapter what? One. It's what God told Joshua. Have you ever wondered what to say to people who follow you? Here's a hint. Um, tell them what God told you. Amen, church. Isn't that good? There's no wisdom in our own reasoning. There's no power in some wordsmith who might think of a neat way to say it. Hey, just tell them what God told you. It worked for you, amen? Pass it on to those coming after you. Be strong and, and obey all that's in the book of the law of Moses. And then he says now, without turning aside to the right or to the left. Now, for any politicians here, we're not speaking here of left and right and matter of how you lean politically, amen? We're speaking of, of the ability to keep a straight and, and laser-like focus. Don't be detoured or pulled away. And he begins talking about how that is a future danger. Look with me at the several verses here, okay? He says, nations will, will uh, be among you. Don't associate with them. Don't invoke the names of their gods. Don't serve them. Verse 8, but you're to hold fast to the Lord your God. You see that? So here it is. Joshua's saying, guys, in your future, there's going to be the temptation to be pulled away, to, to be swayed or veered, but you must hold fast. You must stay straight. If you turn away, verse 12 says, you ally yourselves with the survivors of these nations. If you intermarry with them, if you associate with them, he says instead, if you do this, they'll become, in verse what is it, 13, he says they'll become snares and traps. Instead, he says, you're to love the Lord your God in verse 11. Go back there and see. He says, love the Lord your God. Hold fast the Lord your God. In verse 14, he repeats himself, I'm about to go the way of all the earth. In other words, my time is, is about up. But you can trust the Lord in every one of His good promises, Joshua says as he, as he ends this first chapter, this first installment of his speech. And in this first installment, there seems to be a real thread running through this about Israel's future danger. And that's this. Listen very carefully. The pull of sin. And notice the words we've chosen there. It's the pull. The slow, methodical, incessant pull of sin away from the straight and narrow path that God has called us on. Are you following me? I mean, he says if, if you associate intermarry, if you let them remain in the land, there'll be a trap and a snare. And, and the overall gist of this first installment of the speech is this. Guys, listen. It won't come upon you quickly. It'll be slowly and surely. But watch this. The evil one wants to pull you aside. He wants to gradually veer you off. Oh, ever so slightly. Degree after degree. But one degree a day, maybe a few degrees next year, and then just one degree the following year, you wind up in five or ten years way 
off course. Are you with me? I didn't see it happening. I didn't see it coming. Of course you didn't. It was little by little to the left and the right. And suddenly we find ourselves off course, detoured, off track. That's why Joshua says, hold fast. Stay true. Stay straight. I would say that really applies to anyone here desiring to really pass on their faith well to those who are behind them. Is, is to lay out the future dangers for those coming behind you. And much the same thing applies, doesn't it? It won't be the, the overnight tragedy, but it'll be the insidious temptation. It'll be the small pull of sin that will, will, will cause us to vary, to compromise, to sacrifice in a moment and think, oh, it's not that big a deal. But years later, we find ourselves completely sidetracked Are you with me, guys? The danger for all of us in our future is that we'll be pulled by sin to the left or right. And we'll get off course. Now, one thing I noticed interesting about this first section of his address, and it's to the leaders, by the way. He was saying to the leaders, listen, there will be a temptation to maybe forget what's important. You'll be lured by the crowd. I suspect he remembered all the whininess to Moses, don't you? He's thinking, guys, you'll hear things and, and, and you'll be tempted and pulled. You'll, you'll have the crowd yelling at you, but you've got to keep your focus and stay straight. You cannot abandon the law of God and, and obedience to it. Not even one little bit. And I think one of the things that blankets this passage is, is this word. And this is a hard word to say, so hear me out. I'll struggle through this a little bit because I, I won't come out real well. I'm going to warn you up front. But as you read this first installment, and you hear about Joseph's heartbeat to the leaders to stay straight, the word relationships really blankets this first chapter. In fact, just read this passage later in this week, maybe with your spouse or your family. Notice all the times he talks about other nations, intermarrying, wrong relationships, bad associations. He seems to say this, guys... Your closest companions have a big part. They play a big role in how well you can stay straight. Is that not really true in any time of history? What did Paul say? 1 Corinthians chapter 15 to those believers in Corinth. He said, watch this, bad company corrupts good character. Let me put it to you in the vernacular of, of a teenager. Your friends make a lot of difference. And all the folks over 25 said what? Amen. Not so loud, please. <laughs> you see, when you respond that way, it lets me know something. You're thinking back to a time in your life. when perhaps a mom said to you or a dad said, you know, you need to watch out for those friends you're making. And you said, oh, mom, you're crazy. Or dad, you're just too strict. You're old-fashioned. You're traditional. But you're looking back now at loose relationships and Un, um, unmonitored associations and you look back at a mistake that you wish you'd never made you have some regrets that's what that loud amen means you know now fortunately God has this incredible way of turning our ordeals into what? his ideals and praise to his name amen but sometimes as, our, as humans we look back and we say, you know, if only I would have watched my friendships a little closer. I wouldn't have been tempted in that way. I wouldn't have been in that situation. I would have made that decision. It didn't seem that way when you started out, did it? 
it seemed nice enough. She sure was pretty. Or man, he was handsome. Or you know, it seemed like we got along fine, but suddenly you found yourself tied into a relationship and it seemed like you couldn't break away and you found yourself off course, veering, pulled away to the right or left. Are you with me? Can I encourage us with a strong word of admonition here? Watch your closest relationships. And I don't mean by that your spouse and those. I mean those that you bring in that you make close. Watch them. Those that you let into your life in a very close way, you actually give them like an oar to the, to the boat of your life. And you give them the right to steer your life. Are you with me? You better be careful who you give an oar to. You're given the right to steer. And God says you don't want to wave right or left. I just want to encourage you, especially all our young people here. I believe in being outreach focused. I believe in compassion. I believe in, 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 uh, in witnessing and building bridges to people. I believe in all that. But I also know the fact of the matter is this, that in doing that, you become very susceptible sometimes to relationships that can pull you away and bring damage to you. Are you with me? Please be on guard and stay close to God and the Word. Because relationships are often the very thing the enemy uses to pull us off course. That's the future danger that Joshua lays out to the leaders. So he says, watch over them. You stay close to God. You stay straight. That's the future danger that lay ahead. Well, he finishes exhorting the leaders and he gathers in all the tribes together. And he now, after presenting the leaders to God in front of all the people, he begins to talk to the people on behalf of the Lord. Look what he says in verse 2 of chapter 24 now. He says, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. And he begins to speak for God. He says, and this is God speaking, Long ago your fathers, including Terah the father of Abraham and Nahor, they lived beyond the river. Would you circle that phrase there in verse 2 and 3? He says, they lived there and they worshipped other gods. He says, but I took your father Abraham from the land beyond the river. Speaking there of the Euphrates River, by the way. I took him from that land and I led him out of Canaan and gave him many descendants. And he begins to talk about the work he did on behalf of Abraham on that side of the Euphrates. He then in verse 5 talks about Moses and how he did a work for Moses and Aaron and, and the children of Israel on that side of the Red Sea. Circle the word Red Sea there or the word sea there in verse 6. This is the second body of water to be mentioned in this chapter. He talks about how even in their bondage and their distress, verse 7, they cried to the Lord and, and He uh, helped them. He destroyed the Egyptians. He drowned their chariots. Now in verse 8, He says, I brought you to the land of the Amorites who lived east of the Jordan. Circle the word Jordan there. The third body of water. Are you with me? He talks in these next few verses about how even on both sides of the Jordan, He destroyed kings and He destroyed armies. Verse 11, they crossed the Jordan. They fought against Jericho. Look at verse 13 now. After crossing all these three bodies of water, after God brought them through all of these things, He says, Then, uh, so I gave you a land, look at this phrase, on which you did not toil and cities you did not build. You live in them and eat from vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant. If you have a pen, you could write out beside that verse, Grace. Couldn't you? Now watch this, guys. This is an awesome picture of our of Israel's past and even of our past. In Egypt, uh, excuse me, over across the Euphrates, Abraham, 
God chose Abraham by His own sovereign grace. We know nothing in Scripture that Abraham did anything to say, Oh, I probably made God sit up and take notice. Just God in His sovereignty chose Abraham. He brought Abraham to a place and then there was the Egyptian bondage and by His own grace He elected Moses and used Moses to deliver the children of Israel out of Egypt. They crossed the Red Sea and out of His own sovereign grace God planted them in the Promised Land. None of those things happened because of the children of Israel or Moses or Abraham. They happened because God did them. In fact, you ought to circle all the times in this first part of chapter 24 that the pronoun I is used speaking of God. He's making a strong case here for something. If you look back at your past, it's all about God's goodness. And you could insert the word there, grace. I love the way he ends. He says, listen, I brought you to a place and it's filled with cities and vineyards you didn't plant or build. I want to say to you that in passing our faith on, we ought to look backwards sometimes and say, you know what? When I look at my past, it's filled with God's goodness. His grace displayed on my behalf. That's the second part of this speech. And it's, it's Israel's past blessings that Joshua focuses on for a bit. And in doing so, you know what he highlights? He highlights the sovereignty, the goodness, the grace of God. And I don't need to make the application, do I? I saw you grinning a minute ago. All of these things that God has brought us through, brought us over, these these past blessings as we, as we review our life, it's all a work of God, isn't it? I like the way these three bodies of water represent a couple things in our life. They represent three things. The Euphrates and Abraham's work there, how He saved me by His grace. The, the Red Sea, He marked me by His grace. And then the Jordan River, He blessed me by His grace. But no matter what stage of your spiritual journey you're in, listen up, my friend, It's all about the grace of God to undeserving people. Amen? One of the first feelings you've got to watch out for is the feeling like, well, I deserve that. No. You don't deserve anything. I don't either. The Bible says that the wages of our sin, the most deserving thing we actually should get is hell. That's all we really deserve for our sin. But God in His grace somehow chose you. You didn't get His attention. You didn't do anything good. You didn't make Him sit up and take notice. In His own character, He loved you when you were unlovely. Amen? He saved you. He keeps you by His Holy Spirit. He seals you till the day of redemption. He blesses you now even when... Watch this. We know we don't deserve it. And one day He'll come and get us and take us to His home... And we'll be with Him forever. All of that is because of God's grace. That should be our response as we see our past as well. Amen. God's goodness abounds. So He talks to the leaders about the future. He shares with all of Israel the past. And then He comes upon this wonderful crossroads moment. In which He deals with the present. Look what He says. Verse 14. After talking about the future and the past, he then says, Now, fear the Lord and serve Him with all faithfulness. 
Throw away the gods of your forefathers. This is verse 14 and 24. He says the ones that were worshipped beyond the river in Egypt. and Instead, serve the Lord. And then verse 15, But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods your fathers served or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you're now living. But as for me and my household, guess what? We will serve the Lord. That's a very present tense, singular perspective, isn't it? I mean, think about it. Joshua went from a very futuristic, large view of Israel as well as a very large a review of their past. It's like a preview and a review. And so he brings it all down and says, listen, now you guys decide today what you're going to do with it. And in case you think that you're not going to follow and serve the Lord, guess what? Me and my family, we are. And it's like he cuts through all of the big crowd and the situation and all the information, everything that's big about this passage. And it comes down to a very singular, personal moment, doesn't it? We're serving the Lord. You've got to love the way Joshua lays out this farewell address. He brings it down to his own actions. And consequently then says, your responsibility is to make a choice as well. And so he says, choose whom you will serve. Now, something unusual happens in this text. He comes to the end of the address and he makes an appeal for them to follow his example. To serve the Lord. Are you with me? And they, like a good church, um, say, we will, Joshua. And they're you know, flooding the altar, the invitation. They're signing all the cards. They're, they're doing everything right based on church protocol, right? Joshua says to them, verse 19, look with me at your Bible. It's an amazing text. Amazing part of this passage. He says to the people... You are not able to serve the Lord. Oh, wait, wait, Joshua. You did not go to Invitations 101. When people respond, you need to really... We'll use the business word. You need to seize the day, dude. I mean, you, you need to uh, you know, close the door. Close the deal, man. They're, they're flooding the altar, Joshua. Let them respond. Joshua does the opposite. At the peak of their emotion and excitement, he says, Wait, wait, wait. You can't serve the Lord. What if we did that here? What if a few months ago when we had the altar filled the first day of our study of Joshua, all of you were down here praying, I said, stop, none of you can do this. You'd have probably thought, our pastor's weirder than we thought he was. You know what Joshua's doing here? He's helping them avoid quick and thoughtless decisions and forcing them to deal with reality. And that is this. You know what? Your human nature is fickle and your emotions cannot be trusted. It must be translated, I always say. Understood. And so though you right now say, Sure, Josh, we're with you. I know how fickle you are and so I want to challenge you. You can serve God. First of all, because He's a holy God. His character demands that you, that, that you not just take this lightly. That's what He says there, you know. He says you can't serve the Lord. He's a holy God. He's a jealous God. In other words, you can't just quickly come up here and say, Yeah, Joshua, we'll serve God. Because if your heart's divided, if it's an adulterous heart, if you're really two-timing God while you say it, He knows it. And He will stand for it. How's that for some plain language? So first of all, God's character will not allow me to just make quick and easy and thoughtless decisions about my commitment to Him. Second of all is, my human nature means I need to think through my decisions. Look what He says. 
He says God's holy, He's jealous, but He says also, your rebellion, your sins, man, though, if you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, He'll turn and bring disaster on you. Watch this, guys. I think as Joshua caused them to pause for a moment and think about their decision, I think personally, and I can't prove this scripturally, but I think in his mind, he was going back to certain situations. I think he's thinking about the golden calf. When he and Moses were only gone a few days, they're coming down the mountain and they hear what sounds like the sounds of war, but Moses said, no, it's the sounds of a party. And the very people who said, sure, Moses and Joshua, we're with you, just 40 days from this, this time they left, we're now worshiping a golden calf. Joshua's thinking, yeah, you said this a while back, didn't you? I think he's thinking some of these things. How fickle they were. How quick they were to to turn away when things got tough. I think he's thinking about the 12 spies. Yeah, Joshua, so spy it out, buddy. We'll do it, Moses. They go, they come back. Ten of them said, man, we can't take it. I thought you were with me, guys. I thought God said we could take it. And suddenly he finds himself, he and Caleb, the only ones speaking up. The definite minority. Are you with me? I think he begins to remember all the fickleness of the human nature. And so he catches them. He says, wait guys. You can't just glibly and quickly sign on because it's convenient. I want to know something. Are you really in for the long haul? Well, the people respond back to Joshua and said, no, Joshua, we really are. Joshua then sets up a memorial of stones. He actually calls it in the last part of chapter 24, he calls it a a witness against them. This is the ninth stone memorial Joshua set up in this book. Imagine that. It's a lot of memorials, isn't it? Joshua had a thing for rocks, I think, you know. So he set up this memorial and it spoke to him and the people and it was a witness against them saying, Guys, you didn't just decide in in the heat of the moment, but you made a commitment thoughtfully, deliberately, and intentionally to serve the Lord your God. I will say to you that that day, that commitment, that memorial lasted for Judges chapter 2 tells us that the children of Israel lived for God and served Him all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua. Now that's, that's interesting because Joshua is one of the only leaders of the Old Testament when God transferred leadership from a singular individual to a group. It usually went from king to king Or let's say from uh, prophet to prophet or person to person, you know, Moses to Joshua. Here at Joshua, there was no singular leader to follow. Joshua transferred his authority to the elders. From the elders, then, of course, the judges came along. But Joshua's farewell address, his impassioned plea for righteousness, man, it hit some really fertile soil. And they lived for God all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders that outlived him. When that generation died off, Judges 2 says, Then there arose a generation that forgot the Lord. You know what I find? People stopped doing what Joshua did in these chapters. They stopped talking about it. They stopped reviewing the past, warning about the future. They stopped calling for commitment in the present. And when that stopped, guess what? Generations grew up. They said, Yeah, who is God again? And so it brings good clarity to why God in Deuteronomy chapter 6 says, 
You talk with your children when you lie down, when you rise up, when you walk by the way, when you, when you go at the door, out the door. No matter what you're doing, you talk about it. You know why? Because our tendency is to forget. Isn't it? And when we forget, we start veering. A degree here, a degree there. We find ourselves in some days in our life thinking, man, how did I end up here? And those behind us are like, yeah, well, what's going on with this? And There's nothing about our past or future that would call us to a present day standard of holiness. That's why I say to you, Joshua's feral address is a great method for speaking to the heart of those around you who are feeling behind your kids, your family, your friends. Consistently talk about the dangers of the future and warn them to stay true and, and what could pull us away. The sin wants to destroy us. Review the past and how God's grace, His sovereign grace, is the only thing that really saves us. And then say, because of those two things, because God can be trusted, because He's proven Himself faithful, let's serve God today. In fact, I put this in a simple sentence for you. You're not surprised, are you? I didn't think so. Would you write this down? Maybe hold on to this, tuck it in your back pocket. It's a simple handle you can use this week. As you think about how to pass the faith on, as you try to process two whole chapters... And how to, you know, kind of get a grip on it. Here's a, here's, a, here's a simple principle that I think will help us all. Let me read it to you. If I want a lasting legacy, that's the future aspect, that speaks of a godly heritage, that's the past aspect, guess what? I must choose wisely when? Say it louder. Today. In other words, as I look to the future and thank God for the past, it should motivate me to choose the Lord today. You see, I can't change what I've done in the past. No matter how much I regret it and beat myself up over it, I can't change it. And the point of that is quit doing both. Amen. You can't change it. God's grace will cover it. And your ordeal will be turned into His ideal in His time. You can't do anything but so... So you look at that, just thank God for His grace. You can't predict the future. No matter how hard you try, no matter how many plans we make, James says that you say you'll do this and that and sell this and that, but the truth is, you don't know. Your life's a vapor. So you ought to say, Lord willing. Are you with me? So you can't predict the future. You can't change the past. All you can do is choose wisely when? Today. That's exactly what Joshua did. He said, guys... I know not what you're going to do. But as for me, I love the personal singleness of this verse. It's, it just really speaks loudly. I mean, he, he just kind of uh, you know, shot right through all the crowd. The tension of that situation. The millions of people. The pressure of those peers that are around him. And he said, as for me. And I suspect he had his family there with him. And my household. I don't know who that was or how many it was. But I can just kind of see Joshua standing up on an elevated platform. Much like they had in Nehemiah's day. You can kind of read about that in Nehemiah chapter 8, I believe it is. Addressing all the leaders and the tribes and the officials. And saying without any fear, you make your choice. But today, in the present, because of the past and the future, we choose to serve God. And you know what they did? All of Joshua's life and all the lives of the elders who outlived him. That's what I call paying it forward. Amen? That's what I call leaving a legacy. 
passing your faith along. It's not rocket science, people. If that's what we desire, let's just follow the Word in the same way. Let's talk about it. Let's live it. Let's, let's call for commitment. And when they commit, let's think twice about it. Say, hey, you sure you're up for this? Let's do just what Joshua did. Let's combine the past and the future. Let's call for commitment today. Choose wisely today. That's really all you can do anyway. Choose wisely today. So husband, you might not can change how your wife spoke to you last night. And you can't predict what she'll say to you tomorrow. But you can decide to love her today. Women, you may not change that old habit he got that drives you crazy. You probably can't change it. I know you told your mother and father, but I'll change him when I marry him. That's it. You You can't change people through marriage. And you don't know what he's going to do, but you can love him today. Hey, kids. You may really regret what happened last month and you may not be able to predict what kind of freedom and when you'll get off restriction. You may not know all that, but guess what you can do? You can obey mom and dad today. A family that's really tight. You may not be able to answer for all your past financial dealings and why you're where you are. I know you envision a bright future, but you know we don't we can't predict that. Who knows what could happen? But you can be responsible with your finances when? Today. You can make good choices with every dime you have. From the words we speak, to the money we spend, to the habits we engage or try to break, to the friends we make, the past and the future, sometimes we just don't have a lot to do with them. We can't change it. We can't predict it. All we can do is say, okay, today I'll choose wisely and serve the Lord. I've noticed that if you'll take that attitude every single day, next month and next year, you'll end up just where you need to be. You ever notice that? If you'll just make sure the next step is God's step. Sometimes I try to take one step, but I'm thinking ten more out there, and this next step, I trip. Because I'm looking out there and trying to walk here. Guess what? Choose wisely today. This reminds me of the very first message in Joshua, doesn't it? Remember that? You can shake your head like this. Be out there right now. Just like, yeah, we remember Todd Ease. I can quote the whole message back to you. I know you can. You're with me, right? We reviewed Joshua, remember? And we looked at his whole life, not only in Joshua, but in Exodus and Deuteronomy, Numbers, and how Joshua had this very attitude. No wonder at the end of his life... He says the very same thing he said all through his life. Hey guys, today I'm choosing God. That's how to leave a legacy. That's how to build a heritage. Just take it one day at a time. Choose to serve the Lord today. I pray that you will do exactly that. As we conclude Joshua, as we wrap up our victory, so to speak, that tomorrow morning when you wake up, though we're done with Joshua from an official study side, and though next week we'll be in the Micah and our church will focus on Christmas, I pray in your heart, you'll say, God, the victories you've given me in the last 50 days, I choose to embrace them today. 
that temper that you got rid of, God, I choose today to live in the victory of that. Lord, that financial tendency that I had to spend too much or to spend wrongly, Lord, I live in the victory of that today. Lord, that language that that was wrong and impure and and not right, Lord, I I live in the victory of, of speaking words that edify today. Are you with me, guys? Sure that the campaign of this is over. But the, the effects of it should last. And, should, and you should pass those victories on to your kids. This is the day to break some of the generational chains. This is the time to do that. And how do you do it? By every day saying, God, because of the past and the future, I choose in the present today to live for you. May every day be a two-day so that our tomorrows will be just what God intends. I pray you'll say with Joshua, as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. And pass your faith along.